Hey, what's up? This is Maddie Mullins from the band Memphis Mayfire, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode. This week in the guest host chair, I've got returning guest, Peter Soros of Fairweather and Be Well. Peter, say hello. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me back, man. Yes, it's great to have you here. We have not spoken in a long time. It's been over a year, I think. Yeah, lots has happened. Yes, it's been since Northeast Scene Days. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I mean, you guys are getting, you guys are getting pretty big, man. It's pretty cool. I am happy about it, and I hope it continues to grow. And Peter, it's great to have you here. You know, you've got a lot going on this year. Fairweather just put out a new EP, Deluge. You know, that was only a conversation last time we spoke. Be Well just put out a new EP. There's a lot going on, and uh, we're going to jump into all that. But today, on the show, our interview subject is Chris McLean of Stretch Armstrong. Now, many of you are aware Stretch Armstrong is re-releasing the Rituals of Life LP, the classic LP on Iodine Recordings. That reissue is coming out September 23rd. Keep an eye out for that. Well, I mean, all the vinyls sold out. It sold out like in a day, but it's going to be remastered. You're going to want to hear it. And uh, it's a great record. It's a great record. We talked to Chris about that. We talk about their experience on Solid State. We talk about the reunions. We talk about Furnace Fest. We cover it all. You're going to love the conversation, and that's coming up momentarily. But first, here's how you can support us, the new scene. The two important things right now are shirts. You're going to want to buy a shirt, and you're going to want to wear it to Furnace Fest, right, Pete? We want them to wear new scene shirts to Furnace Fest. You need to be able to spot them in the crowd, for sure. Yes, yes. And if you wear a, if you wear a new scene shirt to Furnace Fest, I will stop you and say, nice shirt. And then walk away. Hey, how about that? And I'll do it too. <laughs> yeah, so you'll have that from me and from Pete. It's going to, I mean, I can't think of a better reason. The shirts are up at Death Wish Inc. We've got t shirts. We've got a long sleeve option. They're great. Pick one up. And Apple Podcast Reviews. I want to get us over 100. We're getting closer. Thanks to everybody who has submitted a review. If you write a nice five star review, I'll read it on the air. And please support Iodine Recordings. Uh, a version online just just posted a interview with Chuck Young and Dave Gorman from Orange Island. They've got an LP re-release of One Night Stay that's coming out September 30th. I'm looking forward to that. And they've got a new single up, Holy Bibles and Stained Glass Hotel Windows. Check out the band if you haven't yet. Dave is going to be on this show soon enough, so keep an ear out for that as well. I'm looking forward to having that conversation. So let's talk about what we're listening to. Now, I'm going to start here. There is some big news. There's some very big music news happening right now. Botch. Botch has released their first song in 20 years. It's called when it's called one. I'm like saying when instead of one. Well, you're you're shocked by the first new song in 20 years. So it's understandable. (laughs) 
Botch has a new song called 122. It's their first song in 20 years. Have you heard this, Peter? No, you know, I saw that it was out. It's out, right? I saw that it was out, but I haven't listened to it. It came out today. Okay. Yeah, no, I want to hear what it sounds like because 20 years can do a lot, you know? Yeah, I am happy to report that it's very good. I... Uh, Botch is a very important band to me. I have to admit, I had all kinds of emotions. Uh-huh. I don't. I'm nuts. I was like, I'm going to listen to it. I'm not going to listen to it. I want them to reunite. I don't want them to reunite. I right. <laughs> I went back and forth. So I just sat down, listened to the song uh, with nice headphones and everything. Listened to it a couple times. It's great. So I read a post from Brian Cook, and he went into a long explanation of how the song came about and you know it was a really good post and it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to reunite i like that yeah same here i i like that they're keeping it mysterious and not necessarily jumping to a reuniting tour and all that stuff because you know that's what most bands do and uh, i like the botch is doing things a little different they didn't say they're ruling it out completely but they said the song is what we get for right now because it's going to be part of the re-release of We Are the Romans on Sergeant House. I'm happy to report that the song is good. And uh, yeah, it's great. Let me ask you, did you see Botch back in the day? Yes. I saw them in 1999. They played the first Unitarian Church in Philadelphia with Dillinger Escape Plan and other bands. I really don't remember most of the set. Uh, I only remember a very small piece of it. But you know, I wish I had seen them more times. But I'm just happy I was at that show and that I remember a small portion of it. And, you know, I think there's like a VHS upload of it on YouTube that I revisit periodically. Did you see them back in the day? You know, I think I saw them in the same, within the same kind of bands that you were just saying, and it might even been maybe on the same tour when all that, like you're just pummeled with noise from a show like that. Yeah. From a lot of those bands at that time. And I don't want to sound like a person who's trying to pretend I saw a band when I didn't, but I saw a lot of shows and a lot of bands for the first time live before I even heard about them. So I think that I saw them in DC or in the suburbs of DC around the same time. So that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. Like there's so many bands that I saw that I probably have no idea about because I was going to so many shows and I didn't necessarily like pick up the CD every time. So you never know. That's how I saw Converge for the first time and a few bands like that. I, they were just at a show that I was already going to. And uh, it made me, after the fact, discover Arms for Sleep. I mean, uh, these arms are snakes. Yes. Because of the members of and knowing that Botch was a big band around that time that I was coming up. So that's cool. I love these arms for snakes. So. Oh, yeah. They're great. They're great. What are you listening to lately, Pete? Lay it on us. Uh, it's hard for me to find new music, man. And And when you said that, I got a little like worried, like I was going to have to pretend that I listened to something, but I remembered that Cloak Dagger came out with a new EP and they're playing the Fairweather show coming up, but they have a new EP called Temp Life. They're a band from Richmond and uh, it's like phenomenal. They're a very kind of uh, punk sounding hardcore band that's got a kind of a, a cool black black flag and uh, I, there's melody in there, but it's still real raw sounding. Production is really cool and uh, this I think this is the best stuff they've done. So I've just been listening to it a ton. That's awesome. Yeah, I've definitely heard that name many times before. I got to check that out. And uh, what what classics are you listening to? Oh, the classics, man. I um I hate to say it, but I listen to the same the same old records a lot. I, I still listen to uh, into another Ignaris a lot, and uh, bringing it down, Judge. 
I was just going to say, I listen to those when I want to like, oh, I got to listen to some, some music. But left to my own devices, a lot of times I'll listen to older Towns Van Zandt stuff just because it's kind of like puts me in a more mellow mood. But if I want to go to a loud record on the way home from work or something, I usually go to Into Another or Judge. Or Lifetime. I was listening to a Hello Bastards the other day, really loud. Oh, that's a classic. Yeah, yeah I haven't heard... I haven't heard... You know, I'll, I'll be honest here. I'm not. I'm really not up on the classics. I have not heard a full Into Another record mm-hmm. or a full Judge record before. How about that? Well... You ha- there's probably plenty of people who feel the same way. Uh, Into Another is hotly contested within my friend group. You're either a super fan or you can't stand them. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm on the other side. I, I saw them. I, I was a big underdog fan when I was growing up. And then they formed Into Another. And I kind of was confused by the whole situation because it was like Dungeons and Dragons heavy metal. But I love Richie's singing and... The music was just phenomenal and different. And they played these hardcore shows. They never really fit in. And yeah. I think that was their, you know, the hardest thing for a band is when you don't really fit in. You're either too heavy to be at the rock show or too light to be at the metal show or the hardcore show. And they've always stuck with me as a, a, a band that kind of like made me think that in hardcore, you could kind of do whatever you wanted and you were still going to be accepted at a time when that could still, you could still pull that off. I don't know about now, but. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they came about in that it was uh, the more alternative era. I think you had quicksand, you had a lot of post hardcore stuff going on, but into it other. Now I've seen into another. Okay. I don't really remember the show because I was pretty blasted at the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the story of my life for a long time. Uh-huh. But I remember it being like a more, almost like a more classic rock meets post hardcore type thing. Exactly. And I think that if you weren't there, when they started playing only hardcore shows, like it doesn't, it doesn't really compute the same way. Yeah. And not that, not that I know something people don't know, you know, but it was this weird era of hardcore where you could have five different bands that all sounded completely different and everybody would just accept them all as hardcore bands. Like there was a time when uh, into another would play with sick of it all or outspoken and, Ashes and all these bands in DC that all sounded drastically different, but people would still, it was still the same vibe. And uh, once I got older and I started playing in bands and touring, the scene kind of splintered off into all these subgenres where there wasn't really a outside of the box band. And my band, Fairweather, ended up being that weird band on the tour. Like we were either a little too noisy for some tours or we were too melodic for other tours. And into another still at it. They're still playing. They're phenomenal musicians and I will sing their praises till the day I die. Absolutely. So there you go. You've got some new recommendations. You've got some old recommendations. I've got some homework to do. So I'm going to dive in. But uh, listen, check back in with me and Peter in segment three. We're going to catch up with him. He's got a lot of new music out there. I want to see how he's doing. But right now, we are going to speak to Chris McLean of Stretch Armstrong. Enjoy. Let's 
We are here now with Chris McLean. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you here, Chris. You know, you've done a lot over the years. Stretch Armstrong has done a lot. We have another exciting gig coming up at Furnace Fest this year. We've got a Rituals of Life repress coming up, and we're going to cover all of that. But first, let me ask you, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I hope you are. Um, Yeah, it seems to be a good question to ask people these days. Yeah, because you never know what's going to happen these days from one day to the next. No, man. Just a lot of craziness going on. So no, I'm good. My family's good. I'm healthy, feeling good, looking great. You know, you can't see that over the audio here, but um, <laughs> no, nah, man. Well, I'm, I hope to uh, see that in September. Yeah, you know? that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Thank you. What's your family structure? You got a wife? How many kids? Yeah, I have uh, my wife. We've been married a little over, or right at 25 years. Uh, I have a daughter who's 22, and she's 21. I'm sorry. I always try to age her up. And then my boy will actually be 16 next week. And she's at the university. He's in high school. My wife teaches school. And um, I work for AEG here in the Carolinas covering uh, both the Carolinas and Georgia. Right. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we recorded. You used to teach as well, right? I remember someone telling me that like way back in the, I don't know, in the late 90s. Yeah, man. That's correct. I graduated college in 95. And after the summer, I got my first teaching job. And I taught high school for eight years. And then in 2003, I got a phone call from Chad Gilbert from Newfound Glory. And they were going out on the Honda Civic Tour with Good Charlotte and um, a revolving cast of openers. And we got asked to do like the last leg of the tour. And so I talked to my wife. And we had been playing as a, you know, like a part-time weekend warrior band for a long time. And we got asked to do that tour. And uh, we said, we're going to give it a go. We're going to try to do this thing full time, see where it goes. And um, it was great. It was a great experience for sure. Okay. So you said that this tour was in 2003? Yeah, 2003 Honda Civic Tour. So you're telling me up until 2003, Stretch Armstrong was just still a weekend warrior band? Yeah, people always thought we were full-time because, you know, we would fly to Mexico and do a weekend. Uh, We'd fly to Puerto Rico and do a weekend. We'd fly to California. Or over the summer, you know, we'd do 30 states in 35 days or something. You know, we would just go hard. Summer, Christmas break, whenever we could go. We would go, and people for a long time, people thought we were a full time band, and uh, it wasn't until two thousand three that we started really making a go of it. I'm surprised. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I'm, I am one of those people who's surprised to hear that yeah. because I I saw you guys a lot, yeah. so I just figured you were always out there doing it. Yeah. No. Yeah. We and and we did. I mean, we would. Yeah. You know, like I remember one Christmas break. I think. We drove, we left South Carolina, and I think we played like Omaha, Nebraska, somewhere in Kansas City, somewhere in Chicago, and that was the weekend. Then we'd drive home, go back to work. And then a little bit later, uh, Jamie from Hatebreed would ask us to do, or us among other bands, to do those Stillborn Fests where he would do right after Christmas, 
he would do like five shows in the Northeast. So we would do Christmas at home and then literally Christmas night after everything had died down, we would drive to Philly, which is usually kicked off in Philly on the 26th. And then we would do like 26 through 30 in the Northeast with, you know, uh, he was usually five or six bands. So we played a lot, but we weren't a full-time band at that point. Well, you managed to accomplish so much with not actually technically being a full-time band. Yeah, we certainly tried for sure. We really did. Yeah. Yeah, man. So this show in 2003, this tour in 2003, the Honda Civic Tour, you said Good Charlotte was on it. You said Newfound Gloria was on it. It was a co-bill with Newfound and Good Charlotte. Uh, Newfound was supporting, I want to say it was Sticks and Stones, and then Good Charlotte was the album... um, I'm spacing with Lifetime, uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous and the Anthems. Big album. I'm totally spacing on the name of the album. They were supporting the album. Um, and then, so they were they were rotating headliner headlining positions. And then MXPX did a month in the second slot. Less Than Jake did another month in the second slot. And then they were rotating the openers in like three-week intervals. So we got three weeks... And we were the last leg of the tour, which was rad because we played all these great cities throughout the Southeast. And then we ended at Red Rocks. Uh, We got to play Red Rocks, Colorado, which was just, obviously we had no business being there, but we were on the tour. And so that was uh, one of those just, you know, just check it off the list types of things. It was super cool to be a part of. That is so awesome. So cool. And if honestly, if someone would have told me before right now that Stretch Armstrong had played Red Rocks, I might not have believed it, but I'm so happy that you did. I am too. It was it was so cool. And what's funny, the company that I work for now, our Denver office just, you know, runs shows through there all the time. So, you know, I'd only heard of Red Rocks, you know, when we were leading up to playing it, of course. You know, I'd seen the YouTube video of them playing at Red Rocks way back when under a blood red sky. But just seeing that on the itinerary, you know, a newfound and good Charlotte were selling out these places. So Red Rocks was sold out. Obviously, the crowd didn't really have any idea who we were. But nonetheless, we were playing about an hour after doors each night. So it was the, you know, the rooms were full. And I remember specifically that night. Red Rocks was well beyond what we thought, you know, how full it would be for the opening slot. Uh, It was great, man. Never forget it. That was really great. I was just very gracious of uh, Good Charlotte, Newfound Glory to take out some smaller bands because, you know, everybody was in buses, truck, you know, semis was the tour. Um, And, you know, we're in a van and trailer rolling up each day. (laughs) 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 Like, God, here come these guys again. But no, everybody was just super cool. You know, for a hardcore band, getting to play arenas, Red Rocks, you know, bigger theaters. Um, it was great, man. It was something really cool to be a part of. That's amazing. Did you see a big jump in interest in Stretch Armstrong after that tour? Was was quitting the teaching job worth it? Well, you know, yeah, I think we did. You know, we would sell a lot of t-shirts on those tours. But, you know, those fans were there for Newfound. And for Good Charlotte. So we were just kind of like the first hurdle in between them and what they wanted to see. But no, it, it, it was good. You know, as far as, you know, you're trying to make a career of it, that was certainly a a great jumping off point, you know, for sure. So it was great to be a part of it. Um, were we all that impactful? 
you know, or was that that tour very impactful as far as our career went? You know, I, I don't remember we saw any any sort of a huge jump in anything. As I recall, and you'll have to correct me here, edit this out, in 2003, I don't think anybody in the band had a cell phone. Maybe we had a cell phone or two. So I'm only assuming the internet was obviously, you know, alive and, and kicking at that point. But there was no, you know, social media that I was aware of that we could use as a tool to further promote the band. So we were just trying to do what we did live, trying to win them over, hang out at the merch table, sell shirts, sell albums, and just, you know, do as well as we could. It was awesome to be a part of what it really did for the career of the band. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What adjustments did you have to make? I mean, you had this teaching job and you're doing the band whenever you have off. So how did things change once you quit that and started technically full-time with the band? Uh, well, we were broke. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at the time, I was the only guy in the band. So at that time, my daughter was three. And I told my wife, I said, hey, I think we're going to try this full-time. And she's like, oh, as in like <laughs> no steady income? And I was like, yeah, but I think, you know, I think we can do it. I think we're going to be okay. We, you know, and so we just, we had to stay out on the road longer to make any real money, go to Europe two or three times a year. And you had to stay longer because you had to cover the flights. So we just ended up being gone longer. And me with, I was the only one at the time, like I said, that had a, a, a child. The other guys, some of the other guys were married, but I was the only one that had a baby. So when I would get home from tour, you know, most of those guys didn't have to work. So we were doing well enough that at, when we weren't on tour, they weren't having to work, but I was having to work just because there were three of us at the house, you know, instead of just me and my wife or me and a girlfriend. And, and I'm not diminishing any, you know, I, I don't, I'm not taking anything away from what they were doing because it's all relative. But for me, I was having to work. So I was, there was a couple clubs I was working at. I picked up a food delivering job, you know, I never mind hustling. I never mind working. And I was doing shows on the side. So I had, I had been doing shows on my own, trading shows for bands. And I was kind of doing that more and more. And I was getting pretty good at it. And so I was trying to supplement my income with food delivery, stretch Armstrong, doing shows on the side and working the door at a club in town. Yeah. So just doing whatever you got to do to make ends meet. Yeah. As always. Yeah. So I know the band continued on for another couple of years. I know we had a final record, but I'm going to pull Quentin Tarantino here and bring us back now to the beginning. So tell us about the beginning of the band, what you were into and what you were listening to that inspired the band. Wow. Okay. So the band actually started in March of 1993. I was not in the band. I was in college. David, Scott, and John um, were all in the band. And there was a, um, a guy, Matt McCarty, who played bass and sang. And he actually put the band together. And we're still friends with him, still talk to him. Not as frequently as we'd like, but still keep in touch with him today. So they started, and in those days, you know, those guys were real influenced. John and Matt kind of came from a metal background, and Scott and David came from more of a punk and hardcore background. But I think they all kind of 
in those days, it was a bit of the rap rock thing was happening. Yeah. So I think those guys, there was a couple of those early songs that definitely had a little bit of that rap rock vibe to it, which was certainly going on in the early 90s. But their first show as no effects, I'm sorry, their first show as Stretch Armstrong was with no effects and Lagwagon. Um, and it was 1993. And no effects was on the Soul Doubt tour, and they played. They got an opening slot at a club in Columbia called Rockefellers, where that was kind of like the holy grail of places to play for us, because um, all the the big bands would come through. But the club was only four hundred cap. I, I don't think I knew that when I was a teenager how small it was. But that was the first show. So a lot of influences: Seven Seconds, Verbal Assault, um, No Effects, certainly. Uh, we were fans of Pennywise and a lot of the Fat Records type stuff. But um, Scott and I had grown up on Seven Seconds, Youth Brigade, Social Distortion. I mentioned Verbal Assault, Youth of the Day, a lot of the straight edge bands. Um, so that's kind of where we were coming from or they were coming from. And then Matt and John uh, kind of brought more of a metal influence to it. And all that kind of got together and mashed up and later became you know, the, the albums that followed. Yeah, it's funny. All those bands that you just named, I can hear all of that in Stretch Armstrong, yeah. which makes sense. And yeah, it it was like the first record, Compassion Fills the Void. It was like it was like more of like the scary metallic hardcore that you would hear in the early to mid nineties, like the the real straight edge, you know, like looming stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, and you can hear it. Um, I think, and and there's actually a little five song EP before Compassion that is. You know, it's it's kind of rap rock. It really is. I was actually <laughs> I was actually playing bass on that. Matt was singing. You know, it was the nineties. We were in our twenties and we were like, Yeah, this sounds good. This is what's happening around us. You know, we trying to emulate what we heard and yeah, it wasn't our best work, but everybody's gotta start somewhere. You have to start somewhere and you're a product of the times. I mean, whatever is going on, that's gonna influence what you're doing. Absolutely. And that it's just, you know, and it was a great time. I mean, you know, we were in our 20s and, you know, we were doing this thing and, and, and people locally were responding and it was cool. Um, and then from there, you know, you just grow from that and you change and you try new things. And 30, it's almost 30 years later, um, we're still kind of knocking around. It's strange to think that, isn't it? It is very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just take stop and take a look and I'm like, what happened? What happened to the last 20 years? Not in a bad way, just like, wow, time flies. It does fly, man. It, it's it's absolutely crazy. And I see that not only with my kids, but just, you know, we got together and practiced this weekend for Furnace Fest coming up. And we, we've been friends since the 90s doing this thing, you know, with the band. And it's um it's just great to be around this group of guys having fun. Because it's not full-time for us, we're not relying on it for financial stability. So we can have fun, get together, make some noise, play a very few amount of shows, and still have fun with it. Right. You can pick and choose what you want to do now. There's not this looming thing hanging over that you have to make it uh, your entire life. Yeah, which was what ultimately just you know killed it because it was... You got to stay longer on the road to make any money, to make ends meet back home. And, you know, uh, we just weren't able to sustain it. And and we were an older band and a young man's game. And the tide was shifting and 
new sounds, new bands were coming in and where we would had some moderate success, you know, we saw the turnouts a little bit smaller the next time we came through or not as many t-shirts sold, you know, just like just natural progression, you know, the, the kids had started to move on and there were more exciting, better, cooler bands and, you know, and, and, and we weren't that anymore. And we realized it and, and, and we, we tried to get out with, you know, with as much integrity and honesty as we could when we saw it just wasn't working anymore. We just didn't want to be one of those bands that just kind of kept doing it because we didn't know what else to do. That makes sense. Yeah. So that was in 2005 around then? It was actually, I want to say it was the, the, the end of 2006. Okay. So you have Free at Last out, you're touring. At, at what point, I mean, how did you feel during that time? Because, I mean, this is obviously different, but it's like, you know, if I'm doing something and I see a dip from one week to the next, I'm like, well, I guess that's it. It's all over for me. But then, <laughs> you know, but then you hold out and, you know, it's like an EKG. It's up, it's down. But like you said, you're doing shows and you see less t-shirt sales and you see less crowds. Like, what is your mindset at the time? Are you thinking, oh, maybe we're not writing the right music or we're too old? Like, what what's your thought process at the time? Yeah, I think all of that goes through your head, you know, and then there's a little bit of like, well, okay, what are we not doing? What's not what's not working here? Um, what do we need to change? Okay, this band's doing that. So we definitely need to try that. And then if we get on this tour, that'll definitely fix the problem because they're popping off. And if we can do a support slot, and yet it's for less money than we normally get, but we'll get in front of that crowd. And then this is a new T-shirt that we've seen in the mall because we've been a band long enough that bands used to have shirts in the mall. Oh, that's right. You know, yeah. So we see these designs and yeah, they're neon pink <laughs> on pink with a side print that goes down up underneath the arm and you can't really read what the name of the band is, but that's what all the... And so we just got caught up in chasing, well, that must be what it takes. And I think as we look back... I don't think embarrassment's the right word, but like we had invested so much into this and we had put our families through so much of us not being there, funerals, birthdays, uh, all these monumental you know events that you share with family and loved ones along the way that we just weren't home for most of it. So as we started to see things dwindle, it was like, okay, let's double down. Let's stay longer on the road. Let's go play these places we haven't played in a while. Let's go back to Europe for the festivals. And then let's go back to Europe to follow up with Headline. And then we got offered a support tour. So let's go do that. You know, and then you, you know, we were, there was times we were gone eight months out of the year. Wow. And so we felt like, okay, we've already put our families through this. The very least we can do is give it everything we got and see if it clicks. And we owed money, you know, to management, merch stores, the label. And I want to say, and and the other guys could correct me if I'm wrong, but like the last two big tours or, you know, call it the last maybe year of the band, we were on tour paying people back what we owed them. And a booking agent who had been there from the beginning, the label that believed in us, management that was working really, really hard, and the merch store. You know the the folks that were they're, they're printing the shirts, we 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 paid back everybody we owed money to, 
And so we came home broke, (laughs) 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 which is like the age old story. And we we weren't doing that to, you know, I'm not telling you that because we, you know, we need a gold star on our lapel or a pat on the back, but we just didn't want to let anybody down ever, ever to our own detriment. And that's what that last, you know, I think there was somewhere, not that I do a lot of interviews or podcasts by any means, but I think I refer to it as like a dark period. And someone was like, wow, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm usually a pretty, you know, I don't take myself too seriously ever. And I'm pretty self-deprecating, but it was a dark period. I mean, it was, we were broke on the road, trying to make it work. And we knew it wasn't happening, but we didn't want to leave people. We didn't want to owe people money. We didn't want to let people down. And so we kept doing stuff that probably wasn't, or definitely wasn't good business decisions, but we tried to map it out where we could at least pay back what we owed and try to get ourselves to zero in the end. And so, yeah, it was a rough period, man. It was very bleak. Well, one, I think that's, well, I don't know if it's the best idea, but it's certainly a better idea than just leaving and being in tons of debt. You know, I would want to try to come out zero at least so I could start fresh. Yeah. And, and that was our idea. And now as I'm looking back some 15 years later, I, I'm or 17 years later, I'm glad that we did it that way. But it, it's taken, you know, a lot of time and to just not to heal from it. And I certainly don't want to be, I don't want to be overly dramatic because the good times far outweighed the bad, but there was a period, just like you said, you didn't, you never thought we, you didn't know that we weren't a full-time band. Yeah. I think people on the outside that didn't know what we were dealing with, you know, and they wouldn't, you know, it was, it was those, those last probably year and a half, two years, it was dark, man. You know, just, we were trying to figure it out and it was all coming to an end, something that we had believed in and we had gone for. It's just like anything else. When something that you've worked really, really hard for comes to an end, that's sad, man. It's a bummer. Yeah. And that's the other thing from the two-part thing I was saying earlier is that you guys have been doing this for over a decade. In a sense, it's all you knew and you had each other. So even if it ends and it ends on good terms and everyone doesn't hate each other and all this stuff, it's still the end of a relationship and it's still something you have to process. Yeah. And the way you process it is different for everyone. And, you know, some guys in the band just handled it differently. And I'm so grateful that, you know, every time, because see, Scott lives in New Jersey, the, the Jeremy, David, John, myself all live here and, you know, in and around Columbia. And so Scott comes down and then the weekend that he's here, you know, we, we get together, we, we have a big meal, one of the nights, do a barbecue, have people over. It's just really rad, you know, and sometimes you think you often wait, you know, to do these celebrations of life or celebrations of, of being together you know, when you should do them more frequently. But with him being here and us all being together, I'm just grateful that we're all still friends. We paid off who we owed. There's no baggage that we're dealing with or not talking about. And, and I'm, I'm very, I'm happy about that. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah. Cause I think, um, you know, it's obviously that's not always the case. No. Um, and, and, and I'm glad that uh, we're able to do it this way. So the band ends. There's a lot of time that goes by 
before there's any reuniting or anything like that? What did you do? How how did your life change? How did you deal with the end of it? Well, I think we just kind of assimilated into regular life, you know, like, okay, I'm going to be home. I didn't want to go back to teaching. I had gotten pretty good at booking shows or that's what I like doing, working with bands. So I kept doing that. David had gotten a job writing music for video games and he was also teaching. He's also a teacher, but in, in, not in a classroom. He was a classroom teacher, but he's been out of the classroom for a while. And he, he, he did some online teaching and then he worked for the district. Jeremy had gone back to, I don't know what he was doing at the time. Uh, and John was able to pick back up where he had left off. And so we just kind of all went about our lives and like David and I kept in touch just because we live close to each other, Mm -hmm. but we had all just kind of drifted apart because we were trying to figure out what we looked like or what each one of us was doing now that we were no longer in a full-time touring band. And so from, I mean, from what I remember, everybody kind of picked back up some semblance of normalcy in like the civilian world. And we just didn't really, yeah, I never saw him. I see David, but I never saw anybody else. You know, we chat, we were still friendly, but everybody was just doing life. You know, at that point, um, some of the guys were married, had children. I had another child and we just tried to figure out what the next steps were over the next, you know, 10 years until we started kind of hanging out and seeing each other again. It's weird. Cause I would spend so much of my time with these guys just in the weirdest corners of the world, sleeping on floors, flying in planes, driving in vans, playing cool clubs, playing squats, playing terrible clubs, you know, all over the world. And then you get back home and you just never see each other. And it was always kind of weird to me, but I understood. I mean, people were trying to get busy with doing their own lives, you know, and um, it bothered me, but not, not against anyone in particular, just man, we were together for so long and then here we are back home and everybody's off doing their own thing. <laughs> yeah, that's just part of life. And it is it is, it is, it is a pain because like I have really good friends that I used to hang out with every day and every day I'm like, I need to call them. I should call them. But you know, like your life is different now. You're locked into this routine and, and the new thing. And it's like, why well, I just can't get to it right now. Yeah. And then, you know, kids and family and, you know, extended family, that that's all important stuff that we had put on hold for a number of years. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, everybody was just figuring it out, man. Everybody was trying to figure out how to make it work. That must have been a, a big culture shock for you, though, from going to being away eight months out of the year to then being home all the time. I mean, were you were you like freaking out? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. It was nice to be home for sure. But I still miss, you know, it's funny, um, or not funny, it's probably somewhat twisted and demented, but um, my brother moved into a new place yesterday, and long story short, I was the one driving the U-Haul truck and helping to pack up the truck. And I was telling my wife, like, I really miss doing this. And she's like, what, moving? I'm like, no, like just getting (laughs) a bunch of stuff, putting it to the back of a U-Haul, and driving to whatever destination to unload it all. I, it's weird. Like, I just miss that. You know, I do miss traveling in Europe. I do miss traveling in Japan and going places. Um, I love being home. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, there's a piece of me that for sure misses that travel, a little bit of the unknown, a little bit of 
what's going to happen here or in this country or at this border. Yeah, yeah, I missed I missed that a little bit. Maybe you could get a side gig as a mover, and it'll scratch. Yeah, that uh, you know what? I, maybe so, and make <laughs> a little money. Probably make more money doing that than I ever made in the band. So that's not a bit. Let me jot that down. <laughs> uh, so, how many years go by before you guys start talking about playing again? So, oh, man, um, I want to say in 2010, and I've got a poster that I. It's not in this office. I could reference. In 2010 or 11, we played a show in Arizona, I think. We got asked to play a show there. I can see the date on the poster. John would know for sure. And we're like, yeah, sure, that, that would be cool. That, that would be fun. What was the show? Within These Walls Festival Okay. in Phoenix, Arizona at the Nile. And we went out there. We hadn't been together, uh, the five of us. Uh, I guess at that point it was probably six years, five or six years, maybe five years. Anyway, um, we get up there, show's packed. It's great. First song, Scott blows out his Achilles tendon, ruptured, completely shot. Just like Zach Taylor on these uh, Rage Against the Machine shows. I think he blew it out like the third or fifth show, third song in. Yep. First song. We went back and watched the video. <laughs> Scott looks back. Yeah, he just ruptured his Achilles. His Achilles tendon just rolled right up the back of his leg. So oh. like a trooper, he finishes the show. He and David, after the show, go to the ER. He gets put in a cast. They get back to the hotel. We go to the airport. We fly home, and we didn't do anything again for another five-plus years. Whoa. <laughs> Typical Stretch Armstrong. If it could like go wrong or go sideways, it, it, it would. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Was the decision not to play again for so long because of the busted Achilles tendon, or was it just other stuff too? It's just other stuff, man. It was just life. You know, it was nothing in particular, nothing that anybody had done or anything. It just was, you know, man. We just were like, okay, we did that. Scott hurt himself. I mean, cause I, you know, he, and he could tell this better than me, but you know, he had to rehab that thing for like another year. Oh. And so he was forever bummed that that was cause he had been out of the band for a long time at that point. Um, and then we got asked to do that show. We wanted to do it with the five of us. So we get together, we practice, we fly to Arizona, we do the show first song, blows his Achilles. So we all go back home. He rehabs. And then, you know, he's got two kids and he was in his life in New Jersey and we're all doing our thing. And it was about a year that he was rehabbing that. And so, you know, years turn into two, three, four, five. And then the conversation came up, you know, let's, let's, let's play a show or let's do something. And that was about the time the Furnace Fest guys were going to launch Furnace Fest. I want to say it had originally started in yeah 20. So they I think they announced it in 19 to play it in 2020. And then the pandemic hit and they had to push it. And then that's when it landed in 2021. So when we played Furnace Fest, that had been the first time we'd all been together since 2010. So wow. Like 11 years. Yeah. You know, hearing this makes your set at Furnace Fest, it gives it more context because there was such excitement from a lot of people that I spoke to, to see you guys at Furnace Fest. And now I see why. 
Oh, I, I mean, listen, wait, that sounded wrong. I love the band. I love well, the I music. Yeah. But like the, the just the excitement, uh, there, there was more excitement for you guys than a lot of other bands. Yeah. And that was, that was uh, you know, just always grateful, right? Always appreciate that. I know how they feel because there are other bands that make me feel that way. So I totally get it. But I think you're right. And then uh, we are the only band that has played all four Furnace Fests. And so they had wanted us to play. They had reached out. And I just wasn't interested in playing again. You know, I just I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go back down that road. Again, no bad reason, no animosity towards anyone. I just didn't I just didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like anybody cared, you know? And Scott was really, really like, yo, let's do it. I think it would be cool. We should try it. We should do it. And then the other guys were like, if you if you want to do it, I'll do it. And so we're like, okay, let's do it. And it was great, man. I, and I was wrong. I was the one who didn't want to do it. I was the one that was the holdout. And the Furnace Fest guys were, were very persistent in the, the greatest way. And Scott was kind of leading that charge because I think – I think he wanted a redo from Arizona where he had, you know, hurt himself. Yeah. And so it was, um, you know, there was a bit of redemption and all five of us getting up there and playing. And it was great, man. We had such a great time. And it was, it was just, it was very nice, the five of us to be up there together again. It was great. So you said you're the only band to play all four years? Yeah, that's correct. That is correct. That's got to feel good, right? Yeah, man. I mean, it's it, it's it's very cool. Yeah, we Shit, did it. I'd, I'd be printing that on t-shirts and <laughs> selling should. it. Up. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm, I'm writing that down too. You got me the moving part-time mover and putting that on a shirt. I'm making You have those. to. Yeah, it man. would sell like hotcakes. Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the vinyl reissue of Rituals of Life coming up on iodine recordings that's right before i get into uh, how you got hooked up with iodine and everything take us back now rituals of life is a classic i can put on this record and i still know every lyric i remember seeing you guys when you were touring on that record you play i lived in bucks county pennsylvania at the time you guys would come down and play a lot and it was was the venue what was the closest venue for you i'm just curious if i remember i remember seeing you at Let's see. Faith Reformed Church, Stalag. Yeah. No, not Stalag. Kill Time. Uh, what's that place? The Melody in Jersey. Yep. Uh, all those places. We played them all. Yeah. I mean, that was. We didn't play a lot of clubs back then. It was a lot of like fire halls and yeah, Moose Lodge and Elks Lodge and the occasional club. But um, yeah, a lot of spaces. You know, fire halls, uh, houses, fields. <laughs> <laughs> All that stuff. I'm sorry. You asked the question. I totally forgot what you asked. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So uh, the shows were so fun and energetic. I always looked forward to seeing you. And it's all it's great because, you know, Stretch Armstrong has more of like a classic hardcore punk feel. And I didn't listen to a lot of stuff like that. I was listening to a lot of crazy avant-garde stuff like Dillinger Escape Plan and Converge yeah. and Coalesce. They're really technical, metal, yeah. heavy stuff. Sure. So, like, Rituals of Life just came out of nowhere, and and just everybody loved it, including myself. So, take us back. How do we get the attention of Solid State? Talk about the recording of the record, because, you know, uh, we had more of, like, a darker mid-90s hardcore sound on Compassion, and then Rituals of Life is just this fun explosion of energetic 
hardcore punk? Like, uh, take us back to that time a bit. So we had done the Compassion Fills the Void album, and then we were, again, you know, the part-time band, and we had played enough to where I think there was some interest, you know, uh, some labels were interested in maybe doing something, and we were like, yeah, well, we want to do something for sure. Victory Records, again, if I'm missing, I'm trying to get the facts right, but Victory Records was interested in doing something with us, and it was, we knew it was going to be more than we could deliver. And I think at that time, there were rumblings of some bands not being happy with Victory. As I recall, it was something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, But I remember getting a phone call, or there was a message, Scott and I used to live together back then, and there was a voicemail. Tony Victory had called our house. We were going to call him or I was going to call him or something. I don't remember. And then we, Scott had gotten a letter, an actual old school letter with like a strong arm, um, a strong arm CD or a song. Maybe it was a tape. And I think that's how we found out about Solid State or Tooth and Nail. And so we sent them some stuff. And we probably called and sent them letters and called and sent more letters. And eventually they were interested. We figured it out. They signed us for, I don't know, three or four or five albums, too many. And we wanted to go record where the other solid state bands had recorded, which was Little Rock, Arkansas. Barry Porner recorded the album. That would have been in 1999. And... I think we did it all in like 10 or 11 days, everything. Drove out there, stayed. David and my my wife came with us because we were, I think it was on Christmas break. Yeah, she was on Christmas break from teaching. I was on Christmas break from teaching. We drove out. Everybody drove out. We recorded. David and my wife drove back because they had to be at school like right after New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. And John. Jeremy, Scott, and myself stayed out there and finished it. And that came out in 1999. And um, yeah, it was good. You know, we toured a lot. We went to Europe in 2000 on that album. We went back to Europe, toured the States, flew, you know, to Puerto Rico, uh, these different places to play. And it's cool. A lot of people still relate to those songs. And I think for a lot of people, that was kind of their introduction to us. So I think it, holds a special place for them, which is which is always great. You know, it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you saw increased interest in the band uh, once the record come out. How quickly did it happen? Were you getting booked more? Like what, what was the... Uh, we, got an, we got a booking agent. You know, Matt Pike was at the Kenmore Agency at the time, and he was booking all the bands we wanted to be on tour with. You mentioned Converge, and I mean, at that time, he was booking everybody. Converge, Reach the Sky, Bane... Uh, throw down 18, I don't know if it was 18 visions, all the bands we wanted to be on tour with, he was booking. And so I think the album, I don't know, further solidified us as a, as a band that could sell tickets or, you know, get people to shows. And um, yeah, we definitely saw an improvement in people taking interest in us because they had a, you know, 12 songs from a label that, you know, was a real label that people had heard of. And, um, you know, it, it, I think it made people feel like we were more more of a real band or, you know, wh- whatever that means. 
Plus that I'll melt with you cover at the end. I mean, that's that's one of the best. I have to say that's one of the best covers. I love that. That's just well, perfect. I I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we still play it, <laughs> <laughs> and people still want to hear it. Now it's it's a great. Yeah, I mean, modern English. It's a great song on its own. Uh, and David and I had messed with that for years and years and years. Just oh, this would be a cool cover. This is a punk song. You know, they don't even know it's a punk song, but it's a punk song. And so uh, we recorded it. You know, it's two or three chords and we still play it and yeah, people still want to hear it. So it's, it's cool, man. It's the perfect mix. It's like not too much like the original, but enough. So you can definitely recognize it. And just the, the punk aesthetics and the fast stuff that you throw into it. It's like, it's perfect. Yeah. I think that's a good way to do a cover. I never, I never like when bands take a cover and just completely change it. Right. I I personally don't like that. Um, So we did try to do it as straight up as we could you know, but just go faster. And I th- I think we did a pretty good job with that. So how was your experience on Solid State? Was it good? Did you like it? Yeah, it, it, it was good. Um, they were very nice to us. I think we were a bit different than the other bands they were working with and signing. We weren't a Christian band. We weren't this band of believers that was on a mission to to play all the churches and and play all the youth groups in that or, you know, in, in those types of, uh, those types of places. And a lot of the bands on the label were. Yeah. And I think looking back, it probably wasn't the best decision in the world. We, because, you know, we, we, we never intended to mislead or confuse the kids, but I think just by association, a lot of kids were confused. Cause like they would come up and at the show, they would like want to pray for us or they would want to pray with us. Yeah. Or they would want to like lay hands on us and 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 pray over us and and it's very nice, right? I think when people do that, I think it is. A, I think it's a kind gesture. Yeah, right. I, I for the most part, I think that's where they're coming from. So we were real conflicted. Like this is very important to this person. The last thing we want to do is embarrass them or make them feel weird. Or in typical Stretch Armstrong, we would endure the the strange and weirdness that we felt so that that person wouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's like signing an autograph, right? I don't want to sign an autograph, but I don't want you to feel weird for asking me to sign the autograph by me saying no. So what do I do? Yeah, of course I'll sign it. No problem. And so when those things would happen and we would play these events and we would play with these bands that were overtly Christian bands, I think we inadvertently misled people and, and we didn't mean to. And I think in hindsight, if we could have changed that, we would. But we were just trying to put our stuff out because we've been putting it out for so long on our own, on our own, you know, dime. And, and Solid State came along and they're like, we've got an art department and we've got, you know, recording places you can go record. And here's some money to go do it. And here's some money for a van. And here's some money for some good equipment. So we were just like, yeah, you know, that, that sounds great. And so I think probably our judgment got a little bit clouded. Um, and I think if we could go back and change that, we would, but at the same time, maybe that's why we have continued to be a band that some people care about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't really think it's on you per se, like, uh, you're, you're part of this label, but people are going to interpret it however they want. Like there's right wing guys out there who love rage against the machine. And like, they take the lyrics of rage against the machine and make it about what they're about. 
and they don't realize that the lyrics are completely against what they're about. That's exactly true. That is, yeah, that that's true. And and you know, rage is just rage. They do what they do, right? They haven't changed it, and and people can interpret those lyrics to maybe fit what's going on in their head. And so, you know, it got even with the guys like you know, uh, majority of the, everyone but me, you know, drank. Um, not that we're out there boozing up and going crazy, but you know, we they wouldn't drink at the show, you know, or they would drink like after the show. If there was a green room, they, we just didn't, we were just so concerned with the kids not being let down. We didn't want to let them down. Yeah. And I think we just, and again, I'm not saying this so that anybody will think we're anything great or whatever. We're just five, you know, just dudes from the Carolinas. And we were we just didn't want to let anybody down. We didn't want to let the kids down who maybe thought we were this. We didn't want to let the kids down who thought that we were like this. So after the show, back at the hotel, if the guys wanted to drink, they would drink or a little bit of partying, you know. And so I think we spent a lot of time doing that that we and I guess that's what I mean by like with the regret and with the label, you know, um but you know, maybe you're right. That that wasn't on us to do that. It was for other people to form their opinions, interpretations. But that's just kind of I don't know. It's the way we're built, the way we're wired, um, the way we wanted to be. And I think we added some undue uh, stress and some undue expectations that we thought people had of us. That's understandable, given the situation. Like I, I remember a long time ago, I was I, I was out after a show, right, and I'm at a diner. And I'm sitting with the band One King Down. And oh, yeah. I was very conflicted about ordering a chicken sandwich in front sure. of them. I was like, I, should I? Are they going to get mad? But, uh, you know, I just did. Yeah. And, and, and those guys would say, of course you should order the chicken sandwich just because they're rad dudes. You yeah. know, we did, we did several tours with them. But that's the way you felt. You didn't know how they felt. And so you want, I, I get it, man. That's, that was the majority of our, our time as a band was, internalizing things just like that. <laughs> it happens, man. Did you ever have any conflict with the label? Or are they like, oh, don't sing about this or don't do that? Was there any of that kind of stuff? Never. I think it was implied that you wouldn't curse. Yeah. Um, which I just never did in my lyrics anyway. And that wasn't for anything other than I just always have tried to convey a message without cursing. Now, there's a lot of bands who use curse words very, very well. And, you know, a lot of them I listen to and like. But for me and our songs, we just never did. And again, it wasn't some strategic plan. It's just I didn't put curse words in the songs. And so that any sort of requirements they had for us, which I don't remember there being any, we were kind of already doing anyway. So how did you hook up? With iodine recordings, I mean, we've got this Rituals of Life uh, vinyl repress coming out. It all sold out in like a day. By the way, did you see that? It was great. Yeah. So my 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 boy um, was trying to order the album. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to get the the green or the yellow or whatever the vinyl was, and I feel bad. I didn't even really know. And he's like, but I can't get. Oh, I got it. I got it. And I'm like, what do you mean you got it? He's like, well, there was only two left. <laughs> I'm like, well, let me call Scott because I'm sure there's more. And Scott's like, no, they're all gone. And so then we started seeing people reselling them for like way too much money. Oh, no. And so Scott was trying to post 
this is where you can get it for the real price. Or Scott was like doing a really good job of trying to mitigate people charging too much for the album. Yeah. And yeah, they're all gone. Yeah. Which is just crazy. You know, it's, it's very cool. Um, and so, yeah, Scott had, you know, Scott and Casey had been chatting for a while and I think it just kind of came out of that, you know, Scott would, Hey, we're working on this. We're going to do furnace fest. And I think Casey said, um, you know, well, that'd be cool to re-release that album. So Casey and his team, and there's another guy, and I don't know the name, his name, and Scott would know it. And I think Joe. Yes. Joe Grillo, yeah. Yes. And so those guys had to go get the the permission to do that because I think Solid State Tooth and Nail had sold the catalog to like Universal or Warner. Mm-hmm. And they had to get permission to re-release these songs. And it wasn't easy. I mean, it was it was some hurdle jumping and a lot of passion, a lot of devotion, a lot of just real effort to 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 get this thing to fruition. And um it's just been really cool to see what all they've done, how people have reacted, and just kind of what's come out of it. It's just it's very cool. It's very cool to see it. Yeah, it has to feel good. I mean, thinking back to being out on the road just to break even at zero and all the years that had gone by. And I mean, I bet you never imagined that this album would be re-released and every, every copy bought up in a fervor like that. Yeah, no, no, never thought, you know, cause I'm always the guy that's like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, <laughs> I, I think that's probably a terrible idea. And Scott's like, no man, Casey's, you know, he's committed. He's passionate. This is what he does. It's, it's, it's his thing. And I'm like, okay. You know, I all right. You think he's going to sell the records? <laughs> no, I so. get it. I'm I'm like you. I I assume no one cares about anything I'm doing, and that's that's partly to protect me, and partly just because of like insecurity or whatever. But I'm like, ah, no one cares. You know. Yeah, that's just how I roll through life. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and I'm not like a you know I'm not a, a downer or a buzzkill. I'm just like, oh okay. I don't think anyone's going to like that. And if you really believe in it, yeah, that'd be cool. And sure enough, you know, they did, which is great. Um, I hope he has made whatever money there is to be made or got back to zero or whatever it is. Um, it's certainly been great on this side of things to see the reaction. Um, and our kids, you know, as the uh, Jeremy has four kids, David has one, Scott has two, I have two. Um, it's nice that our kids, my daughter was old enough to see our shows when she was very little, Mm -hmm. but it's nice that our kids are getting to kind of enjoy this people recognizing the band or us playing some shows. It's cool that they're able to kind of see it because they weren't alive when we were doing it before. Right. What do they think of it? What do they think of it now that they see everything and they've, maybe they've seen some gigs now, you know, there's this, general idea that you're kind of embarrassed of your parents and like your parents are only going to embarrass you and your parents aren't cool. And Oh my gosh, why did you say that? And so there's still that don't get me wrong, but they like wear the merch. Like they go to the shows and like, like whenever we've got a, not that we have a lot of shows, but like if, if Scott has rolled out some merch or a furnace fest post and he's reposted on the band socials, like, like my kids repost it and my kids like put it on their page and their stories and wear the shirts. And like, they're just, it's, I mean, it, like I said, man, I just, it's very cool. Yeah. They're into it. They love it. 
I love that. That's got to feel That's, so I mean, good, it, right? It does, man. It does. Like, you know, I just, uh, you know, my wife is the one that just, it, you know, has given the kids the brains they have and, you know, just made them great, great people. And I'm always like, ah, you know, I, I contribute. I'm funny and or I, I try to be funny, give them a good sense of humor. And, you know, I make sure they're taken care of as she does as well. But it, I never, I guess I always minimize maybe what I brought to their upbringing because I was gone so much. But having them experience the the band now that they're in their 20s or, you know, he's a teenager. It's been very cool. It's great. And and all the, the you guys, kids, are just stoked on what's going on, which is great, man. It's really cool. I love that. That's awesome. Me too, man. And, uh, you know, along with the record and everything else that uh, Iodine is selling, there's this fanzine, uh, Rituals of Life fanzine. And we've got essays from Hatebreed, Bane, Rise Against, The Gaslight Anthem, Stick to Your Guns, Further Seems Forever. I mean, the amount of nice things that people have to say about the band and the reach of the band and the legacy and, and the amount of influence. I mean, did you have any idea? Did you, did you think about that at all? And what, what is your reaction to seeing all of this? So have, have, have you seen them or read them? Have you, I don't know if you, I don't, I've not seen the zine. Have you seen it yet? I have not. So we, Scott and I were having a conversation because again, Casey was wanting to do some cool stuff. So at around about the time that this was being talked about, Seven Seconds was re-releasing The Crew. Mm-hmm. And inside, there was just this booklet. And uh, the album's a gatefold. So there's just all this room for not only the lyrics, but cool things about the band. So through Punk and Hardcore, always as important of the music was what the liner notes, right? I read every... Who did they think? Where did they record? Um, what was their comment on this? Like, what was that band they think? Because then I would go find that band. And then who's that person they keep talking about? Well, he's in this band or she's in that band. I would go find that. So we were like, if he's would be interested in this, maybe we could do like a cool booklet or something to go with the album. And then I don't think it was my idea, but at one point Scott and I were talking and I said, you know, what if we had some peers, some friends, Maybe just jot down some things and send them in. If it's cool, we could put it in the zine. So I would reach out. Scott was kind of dealing with some stuff with the album. I said, well, here, I'll take this on. Let, let me do this. Take it off your plate. It's one thing I can do. So I would just reach out to these people that you mentioned. And I said, I know it's weird to ask someone to write something about you. <laughs> but we think this would be cool. And if there's a couple things you would like to say about how you discovered us or any any interactions we had, could you write them down? But I don't want to read them. So I'll give you Scott's email or Casey's email and you can send them direct. So I haven't read them and I didn't want to read them specifically until the booklet, the zine came out. Now we got Scott and I got sent one as a proof just to make sure. So I did scan it and I started reading them and I didn't finish them because I didn't want to read them, but just Back to what you said, um, yeah, just just people saying some of the things they said, like, and not just us, but just you never know the impact you have on someone, whether you're in a band or you're at work or you're a friend or whatever. 
just the way you can make someone feel or the way you can act around someone that makes them think about something differently, right? So some of these bands that are still career bands that were coming up the same time we came up, that are still there, successful, just saying just like the nicest things. And I I just, I mean, I'm floored, man. You know, and everybody was like, yes. And so I was thinking they were going to write maybe a sentence or two, but some people just wrote on and on and on. They're like, is this too much? I'm like, I don't know, but I'll forward it over and I'll let them tell you because I don't want to read them because I wanted to, I wanted to see it when it came out. I'm dying to read them, but I didn't want to read them yet. Yeah, I would have I would have done it that way too cuz I just wouldn't feel comfortable reading a bunch of nice stories about me, you know, as people are sending them in. <laughs> no, cuz it was already weird enough me saying, "Hey, can you write something nice about our band or say how cool we are?" you know. So I was just like, "Whatever you want to say. You, you these guys these guys were dicks or these guys are terrible. They're they're a crummy band. I don't like, you know, whatever. Just write something down. We'd like to submit it with the zine cuz I think it would be cool." And um I think it turned out great. That's awesome. And that that's the great thing about music is that it's timeless. Of course, there's shifts in uh, trends and what's going on and all that stuff. But this music is out there. It's out there. It's not going away. Anyone can pick it up at any time and be inspired. And it just lives on. I mean, it seems to have grown over the years. Yeah. And, and I think about you know, all the bands that made me feel that way or bands that still make me feel that way. Music, just like you said, it's just, it's so important. And it's just, it's so personal and just the way it makes you feel. And to have people that I just respect and admire and love so much, even take the time to write something about us was just, it's just great, man. It's just, I don't know. It's great. This whole thing is great. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it has to feel good. It just has to. We've got re-releases. We've got new merch. You've got gigs coming up. I saw you played a gig recently in South Carolina with Hopes Fall and some other bands. Yeah, we played back in April because um, we hadn't played a proper Columbia show. Oh, geez, 15 years, I think it was something like that. And there again, I was like, I don't know, man. Why don't you know, playing at home? That's always... That was tough enough when we were a full-time band and you go back and play at home and, you know, just always stressful. Family was there, friends were there, and you were never home. So so David has been real involved with an organization here called Palmetto Place, which is a home for children that, uh, that are homeless and all kinds of stories, you know. And so he's been a volunteer there getting involved bringing them supplies, you know, from paper towels to mouthwash to toothpaste to, you know, um, cleaning products, just everything. He got involved with that. So he kind of had the idea, well, I know we're on the fence about playing in town, but what if we played in town and we gave all the money away? I was like, okay, well, that sounds like a great idea. You know, like if I'm, if I'm going to play a show, let's do something cool. Cause we we always were known for if you come to the show, bring a canned good, it's a dollar off your ticket. Or you know, bring a coat in the winter, we would do a coat drive, we would take the coats, take them to the shelter. Because that's what we grew up on, right? And Columbia bands would do that before us, so we try to do it. So David said, Well, because I didn't want to do it. You know, I was like, Why are we why are we doing this again? Like, let's just so 
if we're going to play in town, let's make it meaningful. Let's let's do something cool. So David coordinated it. So in addition to writing them a pretty substantial check, he also rented a U-Haul and we had people bring stuff to the show. So we said, let's don't just do a show. Let's like do something fun. So we did the the donations. We had a bunch of food, not a bunch. We had two food trucks outside. We had a DJ spinning. So while people are out waiting in line, getting a beer, getting you know some vegan chicken sandwiches or whatever, we just wanted to do something cool. You know, if we're going to do this, let's do something cool, something fun. And so we did. We had Hope's Fall. We had Advent. We had Rat Poison. And we just had a great show. I mean, it was just a, it was a great show for a great cause. Um, and I hate to use that word magical because that just gets thrown <laughs> around. But it was just it was perfect, man. It was a perfect night weather wise. Spring in the Carolinas can either be just soaking wet or just nice and cool. It was a perfect evening. The show was sold out. Uh, we were able to stroke a really healthy check to the charity. David collected a bunch of stuff to take to the children's home. Um, and it was great, man. It was absolutely great. So great that I'm afraid if we tried to recreate that show next year, it just wouldn't be as good. That's how perfect that night was. I know the feeling like Furnace Fest last year was so perfect. I'm almost afraid to go again this year because I'm like, I am too. What if it's not the same, but I'm sure it will be. It'll just be different. I'm sure it will be. I don't want to yeah. use magic, but it'll be different magic, you know? Different magic. Okay. Yeah. yeah I-, I hope so. <laughs> different magic. That sounds like a good album name. You want you want to run that yeah, I could. I'll jot it down with the shirt idea and the moving idea. <laughs> I like it. It's a three. It's got three of them now. It's a trilogy. Whenever I think of Columbia, South Carolina, I think of one of the craziest nights of my life. Uh-oh. I was on tour in 2003. What would have been like when? the venue to play in Columbia, South Carolina in 2003? Ooh. What band? It was uh, Thursday, this day forward, every time I die. And I it was, it, it was a disaster of a show. And I mean, on my part, I drank way too much. I was up all night. It was just, it was just like a wild experience. I'm going to tell you this. I did the show. It was at New Brooklyn Tavern, and we were on tour. And I'm not 100%, but I think this day forward broke up shortly after that show and Circus Survive started. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, my brain, I, I remember because Brendan from uh, Circus Survive, who I've done a lot of shows for, we were, Stretch Armstrong was supposed to go on tour with this day forward shortly after that tour. Oh. They broke up. I don't think they broke up at New Brooklyn Tavern, but they broke up on that tour, as I remember. No, it was, uh, I was on that tour. I used to sell merch for them and they broke, they broke up later that year. Later that year. Okay. So I'm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're from PA as well. Right. I mean, I know. Yeah. We're all from the same hometown or everyone kind of settled there. And I, okay. I, I know those guys very well. So I'm happy to hear okay. that you do too. Yeah. Well, I, don't know him as well as you do, but just from the Circus Survive shows and knowing Brendan from the hardcore days. Yeah. Um, and Anthony and I still keep in touch. Um, and that's where Circus Survive. So that was definitely New Brooklyn Tavern, and I did the show. That's amazing. Yeah, small I'm world, glad man. I asked you, though. Like, who would have thought yep. that you did the very show that I was at where I was a disaster? And I can even see the flyer in my head, if you can believe it or not. It drives my wife crazy. 
just these minute details that I remember. I don't know what that is. Dates, like just the minutia of the, just all that just useless info is just swirling around my head. I think that's amazing. Photographic memory. I don't know if it's that, but it's something. <laughs> it drives her crazy. Yeah. I have to tell you something random and stupid, but I, I, I always okay. randomly think about this. So, so I just have to tell you, my friend booked you in Bucks County a long time ago, 1999, 2000, something like that. I was working the door at the show. Mm-hmm. I must have been 17 years old at the time. Did you steal from us? No, but you guys were playing and I, I took songs from Rituals of Life and I sped them up so that they sounded like the chipmunks or, or like slowed them down so they sounded really doomy and I was like playing them before you guys went on because I thought it was funny. But that's kind of that's kind of a weird thing to do to a band before they go on. So sorry about that. That's okay. I was I was gonna bring that up, but I didn't. You did it, so I feel better about it. It's yeah, fine. you knew it was me, and you were good, you were gonna bring it up. But I, I wanted you to bring it up first. So now it's all good. Yeah. Now when you say Bucks County, yeah, okay, a little more specific. That's outside of Philadelphia. We had a great scene there. Do you remember playing Palenka Park and Ben Salem, PA, ever? Yes. Yeah. That we there was always shows there and that faith reformed church I mentioned earlier. You guys were down a lot. Like everybody came through. We used to play there with like Poison the. I remember a show with Poison the Well. Yep. And Ensign and I, I don't think Circus Survive played, but I remember those guys being there. Would that be around that their hometown? Yeah, they area? were in all in this day forward at that time. That's right. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, we had we had a lot of great shows coming through there all the time. And it was in that church. Yes. I remember specifically you and Poison the Will. I think more than once being together. Oh, dude, it was quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, let's go to PA for the weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. And because I think Poison the Well was a full-time band, and I don't know if that was around that major label, like Velvet Hammer or something they were on, which was like an imprint of a major, and they were really doing it up. And we would go play with them. And of course, it was like five or six bands always. Um, and I remember playing that church and like the shows were cool, as I recall. Yeah. The, the, we, the amount of great shows, that's how I started this whole podcast because, you know, we just, we, I used to have a co-host. We would talk about the uh, local scene and all the great shows and I had all those people on. And, it, you know, it was like commonplace. Our local shows would be Stretch Armstrong, Poison the Will. Uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, you name it, like all the bands of the time. I believe it, man. I mean, those places just, because you couldn't get into the clubs, so you'd play these like spots in the suburbs outside of the big cities, and they were great. There would be a ton of people there. Always, man. So let's talk about what we've got coming up. Now, we know we've got the Rituals of Life Repress coming up. We know we've got ROL fanzine. We know we've got a new line of merch, so... To everyone listening, go to iodinerecords.com and pick something up. I mean, the records are gone, but you can get other stuff. But Chris, what else is coming up? Have we got more gigs? Is there any talk of new music laid on us? So, yeah. I mean, I think... So we're playing Furnace Fest this year. And then um, Scott in New Jersey. Like, New Jersey was a place we used to always play. So I, we're trying to make New Jersey happen. Uh, we'd like to get to the West Coast. There's a couple festivals in Europe that have, I, I think, have been interested in, in in having us play. And so, it's we're working towards playing those places. Um, we certainly would like to do it. As I mentioned, everyone's got 
full-time lives, full-time jobs. And so if we can, we're going to try and, 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 and play those places again. Nothing set in stone as far as new music. Uh, yeah, we're writing new stuff, rehearsing new stuff. And if it's good, if it's cool and we can record it, we will. Um, but we're just trying to have fun at our own pace and our own time. So it, it doesn't, um, feel like a drag, which is, we just don't want that to happen. I'm excited. I'm excited for more. Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, uh, giving me a second chance on this thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I blew it the first time. Oh, but right, no, I appreciate yeah. it. No, no. I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. I really do. And, 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 uh, asking the questions but to our listeners, uh, Chris and I have been working on this. You know, we had some scheduling conflicts, uh, but we got it done. But listen, we're all adults. We're all busy, but we always get it done. Right, Chris? Clearly, we do. And here we are. We did it. So, Chris, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. I've been listening to Stretch Armstrong for a very long time now. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate what the band does, as does many, many people out there. I'm glad you're still doing it. I'm looking forward to more, so thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and uh, hope to meet you in person. You will at Furnace Fest this year. Come up and say what up. I am going to. All right, pal. Thank you. And there you have it. Chris McLean. Really awesome conversation. I'm glad I got to speak to Chris. I've been a fan of Stretch Armstrong for a really long time. This Rituals of Life reissue is exciting. And it was a great story. You know, hearing about their beginning, hearing about their experience on Solid State and some of the stuff they had to deal with, you know, like people thinking they're a Christian band, but they're not. But they don't want to be dicks to people. And it's just an awkward situation. Plus, you know, the reunion. Oh, yeah. And uh, the biggest reveal was Chris saying they weren't a full-time band, I think, until that tour, that big tour with Good Charlotte and Newfound Glory. Because, And that really surprised me because, you know, the, I, like I told Chris, I saw them all the time. I saw them out there all the time. I saw them multiple times. And they just made the band work with their schedules on winter breaks during summer. And, you know, to to get to that level while technically not being a full-time band, uh, it just shows that uh, with enough determination, you can you can really achieve anything. So really nice guy. Glad I got to speak to him. Awesome, awesome conversation with Chris. Yeah, that's wild. They're not full. They weren't on a full time band for the whole time. I was seeing their name everywhere. Right. Wow. That's like I I just I was stunned. He and Chris said the same thing that people were just like very surprised to hear that. So I don't know. Like it just shows that you know. Uh, I think he was a teacher, maybe some, or he was a teacher. I think maybe some of the other guys were teachers. I, I can't remember, but they could only tour during the winter and summer. So like the fact that they got that much done with uh, the limited schedule and, you know, people didn't even give a thought about them not being a full-time band. It just shows, it just shows the hustle. Also being, being teachers, you know, you could work smarter and not take tours or shows that are dumb and you have that time off and you do what you do what's smart to do. And I mean, I tell you, I saw, I saw their poster in like every venue that I played for like four years, <laughs> you know, they're always either just coming through after or before or something. So, yeah. Have you seen them before? No, I saw them at Furnace Fest. Oh yeah. That, 
that was a crazy set. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of hype, a lot of excitement, and I can't wait to see them again this year. Yeah, and you know, like they acted like the way that they looked on stage. I've never met any of the guys, but super humbled and happy to have that happen. They weren't the kind of reunion band that just expects a giant crowd, you know. And you're a nice band, nice people, and you can come back 20 years later and have this insane show. So that's another thing I liked about Chris is he was just super humble during the whole discussion. You know, when he was talking about the reunion, he just, he has the kind of attitude where he's just like, ah, nobody's going to care. Or like, you know, they did booked Furnace Fest because they were like, ah, people might not care soon. So it, that that's just the way his mind works. And I'm kind of the same way. I just assume no one's ever going to care. And it, it's like a constant humble thing. Well, most of the time. Yeah. I, I have my moments. I have my moments. You know, they're the only band to play every Furnace Fest. Really? Yeah. Oh, how many Furnace Fests have there there been though? Aside from this one that just happened last year, three four or two? total. Four total. Yeah. Two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two, and twenty two. Twenty. Uh, I think it's four. I remember the number four. It's not that many. I'll tell you, it's not that many. Yeah, definitely two thousand three was the last one. Okay. So it started, I guess, two thousand one to two thousand three, and then this last. Okay. One. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you going to be there again this year? I'm playing. Wait, who's both playing? bands? Oh, we're playing. Fairweather is headlining the pre-show, one of the pre-shows, and Be Well is playing the same show. <laughs> oh, I I saw a flyer for that. Yeah, yeah. So it's Fairweather, Be Well, um, Better Off, and the other pre-show is like the metal hardcore show, which is Shy Halud and Unearth. Wow. So I, yeah, I was I was a little worried that they were gonna put us up against some bands that were like a little more similar to us, which would have been kind of a bummer. But I feel like, I mean, I would love to be at the Shai Halud show, but I feel like, you know, if you really want to see Fairweather or Be Well, you're going to go to that show. And if you want to see Unearth and Shai Halud, you go to that one. It's not going to be that great of a dilemma for people to have. I'm just happy to do it. And it's a show. So that's the other thing. Be Well played the actual fest proper last year and it was super fun, but you know, we played for like 19 minutes and uh, this time we get to play in a club with air conditioning and do a proper set and I get to do both bands. So it's going to be, it's going to be a slog, but it's going to be really fun. I just saw the flyer for that, I think last night or the night before. Uh-huh. And I saw Fairweather and Be Well listed one after another on the flyer. Hmm. And the first thing I thought was Peter is going to be really tired. <laughs> well, I'm not even the drummer that's in both bands. So Shane plays drums in both bands. So he's going to have his work cut out for him even more than me. But, you know, it, we get to share, we'll share gear. We'll, uh, you know, go up in one vehicle. I think everybody from Be Well is going to go arrive separately. And it's, if we're going to only do the thing, the thing was like, we're fairly trying to debate what, what we can accomplish this year. And if we were going to do one out of town show, it should be the one that everybody's already in the town that everybody's in. You know, so it was kind of like very serendipitous that it kind of happened at the same time as this. And then we got the offer, which we you know we didn't really know we were going to get an offer, which is also very humbling to think that they are going to throw a one of the whole pre-shows to us, which is cool. And to all the other bands, so not not like you know, we're happy to be we're happy to be able to do this. We played in two thousand. I guess we played the first one two thousand one. Oh wow! Yeah. That uh, are you going to be at the actual fest too, or just this? this- We're going to stay for one or two days afterwards. Okay, hopefully I'll run into you. I'll be uh, yes. I'll be at the whole thing this year. Do you guys have a booth, or does does Iodine have a booth? Iodine has a booth this year. Okay, 
and I will be stationed at the booth at, at various points. So Great. it's going to be good. And I, I'm happy about that because I'm kind of awkward. Yeah. So I, I usually don't have, I usually don't walk up, just walk up to people and say like, Hey, I'm so-and-so because I, I don't know. I always feel like I'm bothering people or they won't care. Yeah. But the iodine tent will be good because I'll be stationed there. They can come up. I'll say hi. It'll be great. Yeah. You can, you can not even talk to them if you want and just exchange money or a shirt. Or you could say, hey, I know you from, I, I get a lot of this. I'll see somebody or I'll be friends with somebody on the internet that I'm not, I've never met before. Yeah. And I will approach them and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. We follow each other on the internet. And a lot of times you get the person acting weird. Like you've hit like on my pictures. But when I say that I, I follow you on Instagram, they're like weirded out. Like it's not cool to say that. But I, That's why I don't do the approach because it's like, I'm so afraid of that moment. This happened to me the other day. I There's someone I know. We follow each other on Instagram and we're on a back and forth like thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I saw them in person and I went to say hi, got completely snubbed. See, you got one life to live, man. It's not, I'm trying to keep my feet in the real world here. Yeah. And if you can look at Instagram as a way to actually meet people, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. I can't begin <laughs> to understand. I think it's, uh, I go by the vibe of the person too. Like, uh, you know, based on everybody I talk to, I can kind of tell how the conversation would go. Like yeah. you, if I saw you, I would walk up and say, hey, it's Keith. And I, I feel like it would go just fine. Sure. Yeah. Right now, it depends though. I might I might pretend I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> depends on who I'm talking to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if you're with somebody that's too important, you might be like, who are you? Um, <laughs> now is not the time. Look, I get it. I get it. This is showbiz, right? Yeah. You know, I just got to get a little further down the road because- I might make it at any moment. <laughs> I might become I might become huge. Well, you might this year, Peter. <laughs> Let's talk about you've been up to a lot. We've got a new Fairweather EP Deluge. Now, first let me say I really love the EP. Oh, thanks, man. It's awesome. The songs are great. Tell us a little bit about it. <sighs> well, uh I don't know how much we, not that anybody's listening remembers when we spoke last time, but we've been writing these songs for years. And we kind of went into it with no expectations or anything, probably, I want to say late 2015, 2016. And this is about the same time uh, our drummer Shane had his second child. And so we couldn't really go out and promote the self-title that came out in 2014 so much. And as a band, we really love writing together. And so we just were like, okay, if this is what we're going to do, Let's just lean into it and do it well with no, we didn't have any expectations from a label or a booking agent to do X, Y, and Z. And we also at the same time wanted to include our other friend, Nick, who was in our, my old band Olympia. We wanted him to come in and play bass. The bass player from Fairweather was always a guitar player. And we just kind of convinced him to play bass in Fairweather for like a decade. <laughs> but <laughs> he's a nice guy. So he just did it for us. But our friend Nick is a bass player. Ben, who was the other bass player, there's two Bens in the band. We thought that it would be fun to write music with three guitar players live so we could kind of do the things. We could orchestrate the ideas that we would have once we finished the song. So it kind of opened up our different paths of writing, having three people play guitar live and different parts you could create that we never really thought of before. It probably started with maybe like 10 ideas for songs and whittled it down and whittled it down. And then we thought maybe these four songs sound the most similar. And then we decided just instead of, you think in your head, you have to make an album, like a full length album. 
And instead, we just kind of decided that this is the vibe we want. And it was just these four songs. And then those four songs ended up changing over the years. Like I said, if you don't have an expectation of having to play a show or the labels on your ass to get a new record done, there's no time frame. And then people got married and people had kids and jobs and people moved away. Our singer moved to Houston during this whole thing. And um, the songs kind of came together right as the pandemic was starting to happen. And we tracked the drums in the end of 2019 before the first lockdown. And then we slowly tracked the rest of the record over the course of a year, which again, you would think that that would be kind of a slog, but it was really just really freeing to be able to not have any like expectation about when something, of course, Ben Green, who's our other guitar player who produced the record, probably wanted to blow his brains out after a while because we weren't done. And he, and he runs a recording studio and he has to actually have business come into the recording studio. But having the recording studio gave us the leeway to just like, you know, let's let's do do feedback for this whole Sunday because there's this part that we had feedback that we had the idea for and we just were able to kind of lean into it. And it just kind of turned out that we still have a relationship with EVR and it made sense to kind of stay in the family and go that route. And the, the thing about that is that they, they know where we are and they know us as a band and they know we're not going to just go out on tour full time. And so when the expectations are there, you can talk about putting out a record with everybody in agreement on that. And I, I honestly, the hardest part about it was towards the end of the record getting ready was the Be Well record was starting to get ready to come out. And that record came out a month before the Fairweather record. And we were playing a ton of shows. And so I went from like not doing a lot to having two bands that are kind of busy, <laughs> which, which is a very first world problem to have. I have to remind myself to, to kind of like chill out and not be so stressed about it. When it rains, it pours. I know. I mean, it's, uh, oh no, it's so, it's so lame. It's such a bummer. I have to play in these two cool bands and play shows to all these <laughs> cool other bands that I've been watching my whole life. It's really hard on me. That's what I was just going to say. Oh, man, I have these two great EPs out on two great labels, and I'm playing these great shows. Oh, life sucks. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, it's hard. I'm 45. My body is not happy about it. I get it. I get it. I had uh, Brian McTernan on the show, and one of my questions to him was, how do you find the energy to do all of this? Because when I, you know, I just carry my equipment to the practice space, and I'm I'm done. Yeah. So, oh, like, sure. uh so how do you do it, Peter? You're 45, you, you're in two bands, you got two releases, you're playing multiple shows. Um, I love it, man. I, I love playing music. and I love being able to do it with my best friends. And I think, you know, you want to finish something you start. And I have, I've always had that kind of drive. If I start something, I need to finish it no matter how in the weeds it gets. But I think maybe five or so years ago, I kind of had the epiphany that there doesn't need to be an end to anything. Like a band doesn't have to break up. A band doesn't have to, you're much more happy to do something on your own terms. And now granted, it's easy for people to say you should do something on your own terms when you have a record that's on a cool label and you have these shows to play. And I know it sounds, I hate it when bands are like, just do it yourself and put out the record. Like if you're fucking Radiohead or something and you can do whatever, you can literally do whatever you want. But I, I work in a museum and I have a pretty physical job. I'm a kind of, kind of a carpenter. I build the exhibits and I handle artwork. So I'm on my feet all day. So as much as I feel like I'm not really in shape, I'm active all the time. And, you know, I just kind of live for the, 
the moments of when I can get together with the guys and we can have that 30 minutes on stage to, to just kind of do the thing that we're all really good at doing together. So I just love it. There's days when, yeah, my back, my back is like fucking over it, but you know, I get through it. That makes sense. You know, I mean, that's how I get through everything I'm doing too. Uh, whether, you know, I really don't want to finish recording this podcast episode. Well, you have to, it's going out Monday and you love it. So finish it or, oh, it's too hot to carry all my equipment to band practice. Well, you really want to play shows again, right? Yes. Okay. So go do it. You just get it done. Yeah. And you know, a deadline sometimes helps like you're saying with the podcast, you know, sometimes that's the thing that you need as an artist. I I'm a painter. I don't really paint anymore because I'm too busy working and doing music and but a deadline if I were to write a whole solo record I probably would never finish it unless somebody said I had to finish it or I would drop dead you know by x by a certain amount of time so I'm certain artists work with the deadline really well but then you know I don't know about you but I don't know when I'm going to be able to have these opportunities again I'm not just going to have record labels and promoters calling me up forever asking me to play a show you know and I and I may not want to So I kind of have to, and I think everybody in both bands kind of feels the same, like this might be the one shot we have to go as hard as we can. And when I say hard, that means play shows that make sense and do cool stuff. And if anybody cares, you know, it's enough for me. Like I said, you hear a lot of bands talk about how you just have to march to your own drum. And that's, I, I get really frustrated with that because I feel like I've been really blessed with having relationship with record labels and booking agents for quite a while. And it's easier for somebody like that to say, just do it, just go do it. But the shows aren't going to happen like that. And if you're not out there doing it and trying to promote yourself a little bit, which is the thing that I'm having a hard time with now, like there'll be days, you know, two records have had to come out in the last four months. And I've had to stare at my phone more than ever to do these Instagram releases at the right time. And it's it's a different (laughs) thing than it used to be. You know, there used to be just like, Maybe there was a street team that handed out flyers and you'd show up and there'd be a, now it's not the same. That's just like so much social media now, which that part of it really makes me just kind of worn down. But then I get together with the guys and then we're back to being like 2001 joking around the same jokes, you know? So other guys will watch sports and drink beer all day on Sunday, but you know, we'll write songs. So. Yeah, that's what we do. And you know, I, I hear you on the, Oh, just do it. Just keep doing it thing. Because you know, now that I've had a taste of the label experience, mm-hmm. I I would not ever want to go back because you just get so much help. You get so much promotion that it just opens you up to so much more stuff. And I, I've done it where I'm in a band and I'm just doing things by myself and no one's listening and you don't really get any shows. And then the band just kind of stops. And I don't know. I uh, It's not fun. Right. You could You can write the best music in the world, but if nobody hears it, I mean, it's great. Your friends will hear it, but you that's that's what those things do at this point you know you're not like selling the cds and the in the volume that you might have used to but a label still can give you if it's the right label they can get you on a podcast they could talk to some you know they they make it so you don't have to do all that stuff on your own but i don't know times are changing so quick i I mean here we are talking about this but who knows what will happen next year if there's another lockdown or something and monkeypox kills us all i don't know (laughs) Anything can happen these days. And for lack of a better term, I do understand the grind more these days. You know, I used to not put in the effort that you had to or really understand what to do. But, you know, just as far as record making material, getting out there, making connections, playing shows, all stuff I'm sure you're very familiar with. Like, 
the things you have to do to get to that level, to make those relationships, to get yourself out there. Now, I will say the weird thing about right now is that the pandemic and COVID kind of for a moment sort of leveled the playing field because nobody was playing any shows. And then that kind of made you realize like touring isn't really that important anymore. Is somebody going to go out to a show on a Tuesday night when they don't have to, when they can see their band all the time on the internet? Like they're going to want to go to a show that fits their schedule on a weekend. And so it's not the same model. Like you used to have to be out there, like you're saying, when you said the grind, it made me think about how like you do this slog or this tour that you don't want to do because it might get you to the next tour, which might get you to the next tour, which might pay your rent for that month. Is What's the goal now? Like to get on MTV that doesn't exist anymore or to (laughs) sell all these albums that don't exist anymore. So I don't really know what the model is. And if there's no model, then you don't have to worry about not doing it right. Wow. That's that's interesting. Yeah. What is what is the goal now? I don't know, because there are plenty of enormously famous musicians that I've never heard of. Yeah. So I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody who's half my age, maybe, because I don't know. I heard something like some something like six million new Spotify songs come on Spotify every day. Oh my god! Yeah. All right, we're going to go through each of them one by one right now. I'm here, I'm ready to and, do it. And uh, figure out which ones we like and which ones we no. We'll, we'll be here all night. I uh, I guess the goal in the goal in my mind, Peter, is you tell me what your goal is. The goal in my mind, if I was in a band, it seems to be like. You have a, fo- uh, I don't know, a social media following of around 150,000 and you can tour in a bus and like you you just have to do one or two tours a year and you can live off the band and make like, I don't know, 80 to 100 grand a year. That seems about as far as you can make it in my mind. I think if you could get there, because don't you have to also, if you're going to be at that level with social media, you probably have your own individual social media that you might have some endorsements that you get paid from and some other stuff like that. But I agree with you that the the precision touring, the right touring, and enough people that are paying attention to what you're doing, you could realistically not have another job. I mean, people yeah. don't have jobs and they don't even have music. They just put their face and they do dumb shit on, on the internet and they get paid way, way more <laughs> than I do. But I think if, you, if your goal is to have people hear your music, you have to decide what level you're comfortable with, what you think success is. Is success playing a stadium the size of Billie Eilish or is it like 15 people that know the words to your songs that really care and there's like 30 people at the gig? For me, it's the latter. I'm, I have, I'm lucky enough to have a career doing something else. So the music is something that lets me forget about paying my rent. So we don't have to worry about the money for a gig to play the gig as long as we don't lose money. Yeah, I've always had a full-time job because I've had to pay for everything myself. So the music is the escape from that. Right. And I think that both my bands are like that. Be Well and Fairweather, both. Everybody does really cool stuff and everybody has lives. And we don't put this in front of our friendships or or our families. And again, we're super lucky to be in that position to be able to get this cool weekend show with X band or something and say that we don't want to do, or turn down a tour. Like when I was younger, I would have never thought to turn, you turn down a big tour, but like maybe my sister's going to have a baby that weekend or whatever. And like, it's not as important to me as being there, being at home for X, Y, and Z. And like I said, you have, I have the luxury of having those priorities. And I think that 
when you're young, you don't have that luxury. Even though when you're young, you have the luxury of not being held down by anything. Yeah. I mean, when you're young, it's just the band. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And that's why bands implode because everybody's too young to understand their differences and how to argue with each other. And, you know, Fairweather, we just came back from the beach. We go to the beach every year together for a weekend, just, just for fun, team building. We get along great, you know, so other bands, maybe that got back together. We never stopped hanging out. That was the difference with Fairweather. We, we never stopped being friends. We just stopped being in a band together, but other bands will get back together to do reunion and they can't stand each other. So how long does that going to last? Do you know any specific bands that did that that you would like to name on the show right now? I'll hit you on the on the on the on the Slack channel. Oh, right. good. <laughs> yes. Okay. Some insider info. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So Be Well has an EP out as well. Hello, Son. This is a great EP as well. I love it. How's that going? How is everything going, dude? It is going. It's going really well. We couldn't. We couldn't be happier with how everything has gone with Revelation. So that was like another bucket list check for me. Was putting a record out on Revelation and Equal Vision in the same two months. Yeah. The guy that just talks to us about what we need label stuff is Sammy from, from Judge and Youth of Today. It's insane. But huh. they're, they're a great label and the band has all these crazy opportunities. And I've played more with Be Well in the past two years than I have done music in probably the past 10. And uh, it's really kind of the, the record's really resonating with people. The Weight and the Cost that came out in, I guess, 2020, um, people really connected with. And so this EP is like, I want to see a little bit more melodic and a little bit more hardcore in two different ways. And so it's kind of like scratches the itch in both ways. And it's given us some real, some real cool opportunities. We, we did a bunch of, we've done a bunch of shows, the hot water music, and we were out with a veil for the weekend. And we just did a full us with newfound glory, which was wild because those shows were enormous, but not that avail shows weren't big but newfound glory is crazy because those shows were just it was a tour tour where the other ones were kind of like longer weekends yeah and um i didn't even know how to wrap my head around it i couldn't imagine doing that how was that tour like uh were the crowds receptive to you i gotta say i've done some big tours before in my life and this was the first one we played first it was be well then four years strong then newfound glory it was the newfound glory sticks and stones 20 year reunion 20 year anniversary tour and I got as more shows than not were sold out. And when we would go on like 30 minutes after doors, almost everybody was at the show and they would all come up front, which has never happened to me being the opening band on a big show like that. If they don't know your band at a hardcore show, they tend to form a giant horseshoe and not pay attention. Right. But this, they were up there and they're maybe they're a little older, you know, they're, I was expecting in my mind, newfound glory fans are all 20. <laughs> really they're, you know, between 30 and 40 and, 50, I don't know. And they're out for the night to have a good time and see cool music. And we did really well on merch and people were super receptive and they all watched. It was wild. It, it, it was a much better reaction than, than I thought. I, I, I guess I would say I didn't know what to expect. And it was very humbling. And I think if we were going to do a big tour like that, that, it would be one to do. Now, it was almost like a little bit, it's hard for us to be gone as long as it was. Like I only did half of it and we got to fill in for the other half because... I couldn't take off that much time, but um, we're about to go to Be Well is going to Europe for two weeks in October with Sam I Am, Voice Has Fire, and Hot Water Music. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's going to be kind of like, if I can get through that and get that checked off on my bucket list, then you'll see me on at the beach with Fairweather for the rest of my life, you know? Yes. Um, 
super lucky to be able to do that and be asked to do that sort of show at this point. And Boy Sets Fire is really big in Europe. Oh, yeah. So, the, the crowds are unbelievable for yeah. them. And Sam I Am, too. Amazing band. Like, so Hot Water, their new record that Brian from Be Well produced is phenomenal. So, like, it's going to be October in Europe. I couldn't ask for anything more, really. So That sounds like a dream come true, honestly. Yeah. I'm doing... We're doing this. Well, Fairweather's having a record release show in like two weeks in DC. And um, our friends Cloak Dagger are playing. They're a band from Richmond. And our other friends, Loud Boys from DC, another punk band from DC, are playing all really good friends. So we're really. Honored. Oh, yeah. I've seen Loud Boys before. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm, um, I'm in the garage bar that I built with the guitar player from Loud Boys. We built a bar in his garage during our pandemic. That was our project. So oh, nice. Yeah. They played a gig up here a while ago in St. Vitus. It was. Black Clouds when they were around, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Loud Boys, and the Jeff Rickley band, After Thursday, it's a little heavier. United oh, Nations. United Nations. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. That's awesome you saw that show. Yeah, they're a f- super fun band. So after we do that, Be Well was going to do a show the next weekend in New York City, but that got canceled, but I don't need to go into that. But then the next weekend after that is Furnace Fest. So both bands are going up to Furnace Fest. We're playing the same show, the pre-show to Furnace Fest. And the next weekend, Be Well goes to Europe for two weeks. Wow. So I'm going to need a serious break after that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're going to, I bet you're going to feel fully accomplished once it's all done. I mean, you've got two great EPs out on two different labels. You've got an endless amount of good shows happening, a European tour in the fall. It's all happening. Man, it's it's so, all happening right now. It sounds so awesome when you say it. <laughs> yes. It is awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I, you know, when I said I was going to be tired, of course I'm going to be tired because my corpse is going to be tired, but, you know, my, my soul will be enriched. So You could uh, float on off of this for <laughs> years. I mean, you just telling me all this, I'm like so happy for you. I feel high. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> I'm looking forward to both bands at Furnace Fest a lot. I, Europe is going to be this whole other thing, but Be Well, we had such a cool reaction at Furnace Fest last year. And also like, you know, Furnace Fest is like one of the first shows that people had really been to after the pandemic, right? So like people in the South never really had a pandemic, but we certainly did up here in DC and in New York, you know, things were crazy for a while. And so I think a lot of people were just so ready to see music at Furnace Fest in 21. We had a great, we had a great reaction. It was like, I think one of the most fun shows we played. So being able to go back there again this year would be well, but then also to come back after 21 years with Fairweather to play a real Fairweather set, you know, I couldn't be, I couldn't be happier about it. I just have to figure out how many guitars I need to bring to be in different tunings. So how many different tunings do you play in? Um, Be Well plays in one tuning with standard and drop. We play in D standard and then we do drop from there. Fairweather plays in E flat and then a couple songs are dropped. The older songs are dropped from there. It's so similar that the intonation can get fucked up easily in your guitar and you don't notice it because it it's your kind of like your brain will think that you're in the right tuning because you're just a half step off. Yep. So I need to have like a separate guitar for each band. So I don't like make my guitar too weird. Yeah. I was in a band that had two different tunings before. So I'd have two different guitars and I was like drunk and messed up most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it, it just, it, that always made things more confusing. Sometimes I couldn't tune right or I, I'd be in the wrong tuning. It was a mess. Yeah. And we write our sets around doing it as little as possible. You know, like if we're going to do a playthrough, we'll make sure the playthroughs are all in the same tuning. And it's not like yeah. we have um, 
guys on the side of the stage handing us guitars to change out, you know, so yeah, we got to go old school and turn the knob ourselves. DIY. Yeah, man. It's very punk. <laughs> well, uh, listen, we're out of time. We're out of time. Oh. But, uh, yeah. I, but listen, Peter, uh, it was great to have you back on the show and in the guest hosting chair. You know, there's a random memory I always think of involving you indirectly. Okay. Uh, last year, before you were on the show, it was last year. I was not having a good time last year. It was a tough year for many reasons. And I was just inside a lot and you were coming on the show and I was like, listen, I got to get outside. I got to go like sit outside for a little bit. So I went down to this park and I just listened to all the Fairweather records because uh, we had I had you coming on the show and it was, it was just nice to get outside and listen to some good music and forget my troubles for a minute. So I always I always associate that memory with you now. That's such a nice thing to hear, man. Thank you so much. Yes. And you know what? It was great to have you in the guest hosting chair and uh, hear about everything that's going on. So hopefully I'll see you uh, at Furnace Fest this year. Yes, definitely. And thank you so much for having me again, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, to our listeners, I'm back. I am back this week. Bonus episode dropping Thursday. So make sure you tune into that. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Best intentions for the